Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. And welcome to Game Development Unchained. This is the best podcast to learn about getting into and through the video game development industry. I am one of the two hosts, the better looking one. This is Larry Charles. I am a level designer. And I would like to introduce the co-host, best friend, environment artist, awesome athlete, incredible game developer, and wise man beyond his years, Mr. Brandon Pham. Larry, you're so kind. I am the less handsome host Brandon <laughs> Pham how you doing you're not supposed to acknowledge the insult man. <laughs> it's all good all it's right. an honest podcast we're gonna have an honest conversation about the game industry yeah so uh how about I just ask you a quick question Mr. Brandon Pham how long have you been making video games just so everyone who's listening can uh know a little more about us I've been uh, working in the industry for over eight years I uh, started my career out in uh Marin on Bioshock 2 I worked on various projects since then, uh, Lost Planet 3, uh, XCOM, and recently Call of Duty Advanced Warfare. Oh, you How made, about you? You made Advanced Warfare. Yeah, you might be familiar with it. How about you? <laughs> well, uh, yeah, so I, let's see, dang, it's been so long. The first game that I'm known for is uh, Yard's Revenge, is a DLC kind of, or, you know, Xbox 360 and PS3 game, it's a small right. game. I've heard of it. Yeah, after that was uh, Lost Planet 3. Ah, yes. So yes. we both worked on Lost Planet 3. Yes, we did. It's funny. And then after that was, uh, I went to Call of Duty Advanced Warfare. Yeah. So <laughs> it's probably where I we have such a good relationship because we work together and went to college together. Yeah. And now we uh, podcast together. Now we podcast together. Uh, Lost Planet 3 was our first project after college, uh, professionally. Uh, and it was a fun project uh, for as long as it lasted. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it was. Uh, oh, you're talking about for you. <laughs> talking about for me. <laughs> I was wondering why you're smiling so big. I was like, oh, that's a good project. Like, oh, I yeah. See, all right, I don't see your video actually. It's unfair. Well, because we're recording the podcast. You just, I see. You just need the voice. Well, yeah, you get to see my facial expressions and I don't get to see yours. All right, all right, all right. Crying. There you go. Uh, so, can you see me now? Yeah, I see you. But none of the listeners can see me, so you know, so it's, it's, it's private and intimate for no reason. All right, I'm going to make <laughs> eye contact. I like seeing the people I talk to. All right, cool. So, uh, moving forward, uh, once again, everybody, if you're listening to this, thank you very much for joining our podcast. There were thousands and hundreds of thousands even of podcasts to choose from. You spending an hour with us, we appreciate it. Thank you. Oh, let me ask you this. What makes us unique? What's so special? What, what are we going to bring to the table? I mean, hello. <laughs> uh, so just so you guys know, you're going to get an unadulterated, unfiltered, and unsponsored view into the game industry. I don't mean unsponsored as in no one can ever give us money for a commercial because that's, that's fine. But yeah. no one is ever going to write us a cue card. Right. <laughs> oh, this game is the best game that you could possibly buy for... Oh, like, no, nah, we're, we're here to give you guys the truth. 
We've gone from school to independent game development to professional game development. We've worked on small games, big games. We know the hows, whys, reasons, and every little nuance behind game development. And a lot of people out there probably don't know these things. They don't know, you know, the lowdown that we have, the insight that we have, and they don't have the connections that we have, right? So, sure, you can listen to a podcast from two journalists who play a lot of video games. And, you know, no disrespect to them, that's awesome. Like, I, I definitely like competition. But in this sense, we actually work in the industry. We still work in the industry. We work at companies that don't mind us doing this. <laughs> and we've got connections, right? Like, Yeah. My hopes with this podcast is to bring you guys the, the ugly truth as well as the, the great stuff about the game industry that you might have heard about. Um, you know, bring on interesting people. Uh, that uh, can relate to uh, not just being in games and for games, it's people that either have gone into independent uh, companies, have formed their own projects outside of AAA, have transitioned into a self-funded type of environment for themselves where they're not at the whims of the corporate uh, needs or or punishments. So uh, hopefully we will bring you that type of uh, entertainment that you can relate to yeah and hopefully also learn a thing or two you know uh so let's let's take it back to the start brandon why did you decide to go to school to learn how to make video games instead of just you know give it a shot and see what happens i gotta say uh i didn't know that it was a thing until i start flipping through magazines uh at barnes and nobles uh (laughs) so i was duped in a way like i was uh i was baited uh, by the AI Institute of uh, California in Orange County. Uh, I saw the ad uh, in my junior year of high school. I decided to check it out. I went to the orientation. Uh, they got me. Uh, they said, you know, <laughs> they got you. <laughs> spend $90,000 and you can get a job and you'll be just fine. And so that I feel that was the first thing uh, about the game industry. And uh I know I don't want to sound sour. I had great times, but uh, I think right now the, the beauty of the game industry is exactly this moment where where independent developers are able to make the game they want and are in charge of what the uh, you know the creative needs that they they've been hungry for for all those years. So it's an exciting time, but uh, yeah, uh, that's how I started. Well, that's how I began my career. Let me ask you a question. So you said the Art Institute ad said pay $90,000, or maybe the on-campus orientation, pay $90,000, and when you graduate, you'll get a job. Yes. Okay, let me ask you this. Are you working in the game industry right now? I am working in the industry. (laughs) So did they lie to you? Oh, no. (laughs) Sounds like they promised exactly what you have. Yeah. I I would say it's 99% all me and 1% AI. Uh, I mean, the truth is, like, 99% of the students that we graduated with uh, since, you know, Larry and I went to college together did not make it. Uh, They're still looking for jobs. Yeah, there's a lot of people who stood right next to me and got their diploma uh, who are still looking for their first legitimate job. Uh, yeah. I'm not going to lie. It's, it's They're filling, filling up my LinkedIn messages right now <laughs> every few months. What do you mean asking, by that? Wait, what do you mean by that? Asking for a job, asking what's up. Uh, yeah. 
Oh, hey, Brandon. Haven't yeah. talked to you in like 10 years. Hey, man, check out my portfolio. I don't know. Slide it on the desk of somebody who can give me a job. Yeah, yeah. bro. We need to hang out again, just like old times. It's getting pretty dangerous. I'm, I'm, I'm glad that LinkedIn lets you preview it without clicking on it because they can <laughs> see that you see it. You don't want to explain that. Oh, man. Like the little scene icon and you never respond back. Exactly. Uh, so yeah, not good. LinkedIn knows. They know. They know what's up. So I'm assuming based on your response that you probably wouldn't go the college route if you could do it a second time? Uh, I think I think nowadays we have so much possibilities uh, to to not only self-publish but self-teach mm-hmm. uh, at a cheaper uh, alternative. Um, you know, the online web is growing every day and now people like us uh, who are coming out of the industry are, are directly connected to students. Mm-hmm. So... Um, I think it's a matter of time before AI and all those institutes or establishments uh, will stop conning kids and kids will wise up to see that they have choices now. Yeah, I hear you. Uh, How how do you feel about, like, online alternatives? I think it's pretty good. I think uh, the options that we got now have been plentiful and uh, taught by industry uh, professionals at their very own home, so the convenience is there, the the affordability is there, and it's the time is ripe uh, for this type of education. How about you, man? How, how do you feel about everything? So I I'm about half and half, right? Like I definitely know that I paid a whole lot of money to get this bachelor's degree in video game art and design, yeah. and I know that I did a whole lot of work getting myself good at level design and, you know, building on my portfolio and my network. But I, I can't say that I was without opportunity that I wouldn't have had if I didn't go to AI. Like meeting some of the career service advisors who have been so adamant in trying to help me get placed when I first started and being so close in proximity to all these video game developers. Now, granted, I could have done that just by moving to California, but I feel like having the safety net of the school allowed right. me to meet like-minded individuals in person like build actual real relationships with potential future video game developers and just kind of go through like a shitty struggle with mm-hmm. people who were going through a shitty struggle at the same time. You know, like it's one thing to see a bunch of names on a website who are like students with you versus like, Hey, like this is Adam. This is David. This is Mark. We are in this concept art class together, suffering all staying up till 2am trying to get this homework done. Right. So I'm on the fence. Like I think, Having an, an in-person education, especially in the video game industry, is awesome. The way that it's currently being done, terrible. Yeah, I, I look at it like that. I feel like the for-profit, most of the emphasis is on the profit, you know. Yeah, and that's that's what's hurting right now. That's why 15 AIs are going to shut down. I think because they got sued for some. Uh, I mean, I don't really know the details on it, but I just know that like. 15 AIs are shutting down. They're getting sued by the government for taking like government grants or uh, you know low-income student loan money or low-income yeah. qualifying student loan money, knowing that these kids weren't going to graduate, weren't going to... Yeah, I mean, it's pretty much... I think you nailed it. They targeted yeah. low-income families to uh, secure these loans because these loans will be paid through, yeah. through Sally May, through and, and those students uh, can't pay it back. Like yep. One of the complaints was... 
you had 500 graduating photographers in Philadelphia's Art Institute. Yeah. Where are 500 photographers going to exactly. go in Philadelphia? It's a matchup. Yeah. I think uh, looking back uh, and actually going through the industry and the educational system, I'm starting to see similarities. That's how it's run, like uh, from beginning to end. Mm-hmm. Like it's being run by people who, who don't really enjoy the game industry as mm-hmm. far as development goes. They're more in it, they're treating it more like a, a regular business mm-hmm. where where it's not the passion. It's it's more often often. So I mean, of course. Uh, there's benefits and cons uh, to both of that, you know, running it like a business, making money off of it. Uh, but I think, I think we're at a time where it's opening up to different, a different way of doing it and still being able to be profitable. Yeah, that's true. I, I, I agree. Um, I'm looking forward to what education is going to be, let's say, seven to ten years from now. I think there's a big paradigm shift especially in the creative space, right? I think there's a big paradigm shift in people going to actual college for game design, for graphic arts, for photography, for these sorts of things, to now this abundance of just quality, solid online training materials and even online college courses, you know, that are becoming more accessible, less about paying $130,000 and more about just learning your trade. Like, one of the things I complained about at going to a college was, I didn't really touch game design until I was already a year and a half through the program. I had used half of my student loan money and room and board money before I even got to the classes for what I thought I wanted to do. So could you imagine what would have happened if I didn't go all the way through? If I was like, ah, this isn't for me. I'm still on the hook for $45,000 plus. Yeah, for classes that you never really majored in. And I think that's the change here. That's the difference. Like The accessibility is different now. And the exposure of what each job in the industry is becoming more and more apparent with new students. Like, they know kind of what each job entails. Mm -hmm. And so now you can just pick and choose what kind of classes you want. And that's the exciting part. Like, now if you want to be a designer day one, you don't have to draw or rig or waste all your money on that. You can just go ahead and do design 101. Yeah, as a game designer, I can't tell you how many times I needed to animate. I needed to draw life models. Yeah. I needed to model buildings. Oh, actually, I can. Uh, only one time out of all my jobs, yeah. I only ever had to model one time, and that was at a startup studio, and I only needed to make one asset. Right. I made a building. Yeah. It's pretty. Yeah, that's, I would. That's $5,000 of education. <laughs> I would have much yeah. rather have taken like seven to eight game design classes and just those classes and paid for just those classes. Exactly. To be honest. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, just getting to the point, really. Like, all these. The point, I mean, that the school systems are set up this way, right? Mm-hmm. So, for, to fill up a three year program to get that degree that. Yeah. really doesn't mean anything. So I think it actually is the baccalaureate requirements that are incentivizing the schools to create such uh, bloated coursework, I'll say, right? Yeah, pretty much, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, let's say, well, let's talk about your origin story. How, how did you, you didn't oh. really begin oh, from no. high school as a, like a game scene. What, what happened? What's no, up? man, I, uh, my my long term joke, my long running joke is, uh, at five years old, 
I knew I was going to be a doctor. I had my Fisher Price doctor set, the little stethoscope, the little yeah. plastic band aids that were like bracelets. Uh, I had everything. I was going to be a doctor. My sixth birthday, my mom came home with a Nintendo and just messed up all those plans. Just messed right. it all up. Uh, I've been a big gamer my entire life. I've loved video games, and I spent a lot of time by myself playing video games. You know, that was my first babysitter. And uh, the first time I got a television, I was so happy, like my own TV, to play my own games. I don't have to worry about interrupting other people's shows when I wanted to play games. And that carried on throughout my whole life. But I also had a passion for business. You know, I said, was it going to be games or was it going to be business? Which one am I going to go into? And I decided both. I want to go into the business of games. But I will go into the game industry to learn about the game industry, you know. So, yeah, I uh, went to Penn State for two years as a business major before I realized that, oh, man, they're kind of training me to be, you know, like a a Fortune 500 employee. Like, I'm the, the... Second regional vice manager of uh, northbound logistics, you know, like <laughs> I have nine people that work under me. I have a clipboard and I have a Palm Pilot that I use every day for no reason. Yep. You know, like I, I didn't want that life. And so that's when I decided to go to art school to make video games and uh, dropped out of Penn State second year through. And I went to the Art Institute of Orange County. And that was probably one of the best decisions I've made in my life, regardless of the expense the people that I met, the relationships that I formed, the networks that I was able to build and also be a part of, the experiences that I got just moving to California ahead of time as a student, learning the area, kind of getting set up and established while I was still under that you know safety net of a learning environment, right, where you have your rent paid, you have all your classes to go to. You have a very kind of structured, simple life so long as you have the discipline. Uh, and then once that was done and I got a job, it's like, oh, cool, I get to move to Irvine. Or, oh, cool, I get to move to Los Angeles. Like areas that I already knew that I was already familiar with because I moved out to California. But, yeah, that was it for me, man. Uh, I haven't looked back ever since. Once I graduated from school, it was just uh, trailblazing, you know, as a designer. So good stuff. But, uh, okay. yeah, I think we have really cool stories. But, like, the people listening now, right, like we're putting this podcast together because we aim – to demystify what it's like to be in the industry, kind of, what kind of things do you think a episode one podcast about getting into the game industry, staying in, navigating, and you know the who's who of the game industry, everything that we're going to bring to the table? Can you think of something just off the top of your head? This is a challenge. <laughs> can you think yeah. of something off the top of your head that was like day one golden nugget notice or knowledge? Like you can go back to Brandon Fam graduating this day. Like yeah, you just got your diploma. What would you say to him first? Don't do it. (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty much it. Don't do it. (laughs) So my first game job was was my real first job of anything. Like, I worked at Chrismos for a month while I went to college. And then I pretty much spent the whole college working in the school library. So it's not really a job. So my first real job is when I went over to Tukimarin, worked on Bioshock 2, and, uh, I mean, things were true. Like, the things that our instructors or people in the industry was saying was true. Like, there was foosball table, there was food. It was a very loose environment. Uh, you know, you would get free games every week, you know, and buy the boxes. And and it was cool. It was fun. It was exciting. Uh, that first month, though, you know, uh, while I was getting the tour, all I heard was this free, free, free food. I was like, well, this is tight love eating. Uh, I'm going to stay late a lot just to prove that uh, my time here is worth it. Their time spent on me was worth it, so I worked really hard and stayed late nights. 
And so I would just dig through the fridge, you know, just looking for stuff. <laughs> and I, I opened it up, and it was like, oh, right in my face. It's like stacked high dinner, the frozen dinner. And I'm like, man, this is tight. They just provide us frozen dinners and never eat. So I ate frozen dinners pretty much every day uh, for that first month. Uh, until like the last week, I started noticing, I said, man, this is getting pretty light. Like, they need to start refilling these frozen dinners. <laughs> and then as I closed the door, there was a note on the fridge that says, whoever's taking my dinner, stop. <laughs> Motherfucker. Like, pretty cussed out and mad. I was like, oh, shit. I've been eating someone, you know, obviously I've been eating someone's dinner. And, uh, you know, with that, I was very embarrassed. I looked around to make sure no one would see that saw me, you know. And uh, I looked at the, the, the box that I already took out, and I, you know, this was like, kind of like a send-off. I, I, I finished that one. <laughs> there was no point putting it back in. I already opened up the wrapper. Yeah, you already, you know, if you're on thin ice, you may as well dance. That's the only, that's, I got away with it. That's the moral of the story. Well, no, you didn't, because <laughs> you just snitched on yourself. <laughs> Yeah, but I'm sure that guy doesn't know who I'm talking about. Yes, you're continuing to snitch on yourself. (laughs) (laughs) But that's the first thing I remember uh, when I started the new job. Like that defined how noobish I was, how 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 exciting it was, how funny the experience was, and 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 creative the whole process. Just moving to a new place, starting your new life after college, and things coming true. I mean, it was. Very fortunate uh, I, that I found a job after graduating, and uh, I was thankful to, to work on such a cool game afterwards. Too. I mean, what's the first thing that you think of when about you know after graduating college? Yeah, if I could go back to me graduating diploma day one, the first thing I would tell myself is to save money. Hands yeah. down, hands down, that'll be the first thing I would tell myself. It's true. That's true. <laughs> like there's I, no, yeah, yeah. No, I, people can't see my hands, but yeah. just pretend you can see my hands. So when I was working at my first job, I was making salary and I was making this much. And I'm like, oh, this is great. Like, yeah, I'm paid salary. I never had a salary job before, right? Like no matter what I do, I get the same check. Like this is awesome. So I was making this much and I was spending less than that. Let's just say I was spending this much. So the distance in between my two hands, I was like, yes, this is saving. I'm saving money because I'm not spending everything. Yeah. That is not saving money. That's just not spending everything. Yeah. And so when my project got canceled at that studio and they laid off like 26 people, that's when that little bit of savings that I was making every month became my only source of you know, money. That was, my, my mo- that was it. That's all I had was that little bit of savings. Obviously, you burn through that in unemployment, and then you use credit cards to like, oh, well, I'm putting food on my credit card. I'm putting gas on my credit card, and you rack up your credit card bills, and then sooner or later, you realize that you're about to be homeless because you have no income and a lot of bills, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I think everyone has a layoff story, and that's just how the industry is. It's not right. But it's it's uh it's just part of the norm, which is a terrible thing to think about. And that's one of the reasons why I'm so glad that there are starting to be options like mm. Apple, you know, created their phone, but 
they not they don't want anything to do with the game industry. They saved the in in game industry, but they want nothing to do with the game industry. Well, why do you say they want nothing to do with the game industry? They're making a lot of things for game development, like um, starting to Metal yeah. and Swift and all. Well, Swift is for apps, but I think Metal well, after, is there. After uh, Steve Steve Jobs left, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, he was pretty adamant. Like he was a bit. He didn't like games. He didn't want to see the, the his his uh, work of art being represented and associated with little toys. And so, but like, and what's the biggest money maker right now? <laughs> yeah. They're starting to realize that, so um, I'm glad that that opened the doors. I mean, Valve making Steam is becoming like the PC leader, and now we got Apple being the, the app leader. It's creating opportunities for people. Yeah, well, we need to see more of that. We need to see more safe havens for industry talent. You know, because like one of the things I will say about the game industry, and I know that you can vouch for this, is like it's no country for old men. <laughs> like if you don't make it as a designer to like creative director yeah. right like you're not going to be some 70 year old 60 year old 59 60 65 year old designer right like yeah. you're not gonna, I just maybe but like I have a hard time seeing you know the relevance yeah, and it's not I'm not attacking the age group I'm just saying this is an observation yeah. out of all the companies I've worked for I have not seen designers past a certain age. I'll just say that, right? Something like, just happens. Yeah, exactly. Like they just they take them out back and they <laughs> introduce well, a lot them to their of, retirement plan. Let's touch on that, right? Like, like the burnout rate is is now no secret. Mm-hmm. Like, game industry churns out a lot of developers. Uh, or it's crunches, uh, or it's like you know. Uh, you know, salary is reasonable, but at a certain point, it just stops growing uh, at, at, after an amount of years of experience. Um, I mean, that's something I would love to talk to you about. Like, how do you feel? You know, I haven't met anyone past 50, like, in any discipline. Like, yeah. the oldest I've met is around 50. And I don't think that will last any longer. I mean, the t- young talents are coming in. They're going to be coming uh, be cheaper. Yes, that's the biggest problem. That's yeah. that's what I was waiting for an opportunity to talk about when you brought up salary is yeah. the idea that, and it happens in corporate America just like it happens in the game industry now. As you're working for a company and as you get older, you know, you get better, you're more talented, you're refined, you're faster, so you're more valuable. And companies usually give like 1% to 3% raise per year, let's just say for the sake of math. And you've been in the industry now for 25 years, right? Yeah. But you're not graduating out of designer you're still just like a senior designer right yeah and then here comes some like 19 year old who started as a junior 22 now he's a regular designer 27 now he's a senior designer just like you yeah. his three percents add up to a lot less money than your three percents right, 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 right. <laughs> and there you go there's yep. your job gone it's a it's a tough thing uh to figure out, I mean, like I, I'm not saying. I think the game industry is reaching a point where every, pretty much every AAA company is facing the same problem, where they they are looking out uh, between the blinds and they're seeing that there's a lot of seniors in their office right now, and there's zero growth. Mm-hmm. Like there's nowhere for them to go, and 
just like anybody who's worked in the industry for a long time, you expect growth, right? If you're not growing, then you're dying. Well, so Brandon, you got to keep in mind now. There's various levels of senior. Sure, sure. <laughs> you know, I think that's about three years in to senior. You'll have that speech with your manager, and you're just like, "Hey, I'm looking for growth. What do you got?" Well, we can start looking at various degrees of seniority. I'm just like, "Oh, does my salary change?" No, but you know, it's more than that. What can you do that you can? Uh, you put more into, but not get paid as much. <laughs> That's pretty much yeah. the speech you will get. It's like, what can you do for us without us paying you more? Huh? What you should ask yourself. It becomes so introspective, where it becomes uh, borderline bor- uh, bullshit on both sides that so you don't understand what's going on. Here's another situation that's kind of similar to that. Uh, the old lead quits, so the assistant lead gets turned into the lead, but his salary doesn't get converted to the lead salary, right? Yeah. So like, hey, this manager quit, so let's let's hire this guy who was like the closest to being the next manager, but we're just going to give him a raise and all the old guy's responsibilities, but we're not going to give him the old guy's salary. Nope, of course not. <laughs> not we're trading in something new, yeah. yeah. We're, we're devaling the position, but at the same time, he's doing the same amount of work. Uh. That's, it's, it's, that's, a, tricky, that's a good man. trick. That's a good trick. I like that's that fun. one. Everyone's doing that. And they don't switch <laughs> oh, man. When you see that one coming, it's just like, oh, here it is. Right and, out of page two. And this is why all the... Anyone that works past, I would say, I think after maybe three years being in the industry, you pretty much hit a stride where you're coming in doing and expecting to do the same type of stuff. Like, uh, you know, maybe at the beginning of the project, there'll be some creativity going on, you're figuring stuff out. But once you nail that procedure, you're, you're pretty much expected to do it over and over and over again because you're just pumping out assets, pumping out levels, you're pumping out animation, whatever it is. And so that gets pretty boring. I mean, the burnout rate becomes very apparent. It starts right there. Like, if you don't see any growth uh, in your position, in your salary, uh, you're told to crunch more, you're, you're spending less time, you're starting to have family, right, as you progress through your 20s and 30s, and you're starting to face a problem where your salary isn't growing, but the members of your family is, and you're just looking at it as like, how long can I really do this? Like, I can't really picture myself at a company, uh, a AAA company, and be able to say 65. Like, the, the, like, your talks with your managers becomes more and more, more, uh, more interesting in a way where, uh, they're running out of things to ask you. <laughs> like, you know, what's your five-year plan is a popular one, and that's gonna suddenly turn to your plan because most companies don't last. Uh, past two years, on average, you know, Triple Studios especially are closing in left and right as development costs goes up. So that's that's just a problem that's going to explode upon itself. Yeah, man. I I honestly I hate to say this, but I hope that the Xbox One and the PS4 are the last generation of home console. Me yeah. personally. Yeah. Because it's just a bad way we're going about it. Yeah. yeah. You can't up the, the, the system and expect 
the same amount of money and, and pump more people. You're just putting more risk onto the project. Yep. Doing you can't – the system's getting better and better, more powerful, stronger. It requires brilliance. It requires talent. It requires effort in order to make the top-level quality on that system. So, therefore, studios have to hire more people and you have to train more people and you have to get bigger everything and bigger and better everything. And if your game does not sell, there goes your whole entire studio. You know, it's it's a sad picture, but it's happening so often. Like, when I think about the jump that we made from PlayStation 2 to PlayStation 3, the graphics fidelity just shot up. And I was like, oh, this is great. Look how cool everything is. Oh, man. But the team sizes also grew exponentially as well. You know, you had a 40-person team turn into a 100-person team. And then PS3 goes to PS4, and you have a 100-person team turn into a 300-person team. I'm talking like big games, like like Advanced Warfare, right? Like we're talking the call, the first Call of Duty game, did you see the team size being 300-something people, not including outsourcing and all the other like freaking overseas stuff, translation and all right. the companies that they work with? Like, I bet you, like, almost 500 names probably roll across a credit screen from a big, big AAA game. Like, of all levels of titles and job responsibilities. Yeah. You go back to PlayStation 2, you don't see 500. You see 60, maybe. 60, yeah. You know? And look at that. Like, 60 people made a Call of Duty game, and they might have, they probably sold, like, the same amount. Like, 30 million copies. Mm-hmm. Around $50, six, same, same price. And then you blow it up to nowadays when we have a, a team like 200, 250. Mm-hmm. Costs just the same. So what, what happens, right? Well, the bonuses are smaller, right? Things like that are not going to be equal. And uh, you know, with the team growing in that size, you're, you're more segmented into uh, staying within your lane, right? So your job becomes more and more repetitive because we have more and more people because more and more people means the job, uh, the game will ship faster. Mm-hmm. And so you're, 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 the individual is just going to be stuck doing the same thing. There's no room for growth because it's, it's cramped. It's a cramped space. Just finish, put, keep your head down and finish the game. What's your complaining about? You know? yeah, exactly. It's, I, you, brought, you bring up a good point. I hate magic management math. Yeah. I think you know exactly what I'm talking about. For the audience, let me explain. Magic management math is, for example, when you ask somebody, hey, are you a chef? And he says yes. And you ask, how long does it take you to cook a pancake? And he says, it takes me exactly four minutes and 30 seconds to cook a pancake. And then you use magic management math and you say, hmm. So that means if I have two chefs, it's going to take two minutes and 20 seconds to cook a pancake. If I have three chefs, it's going to take... It's a crazy problem. It, it doesn't work like that, you know. So never works like that. Never. And I'm not. I'm not saying that that's what producers do. I'm just using that as an illustration as to why you can't just blow up the expectation and not think that the team size needs to grow with those expectations. Well, that and you, the more bodies you throw into it, you, the more you devalue the individual. I mean, the person that was senior, it doesn't matter as much. It's just. That senior equals two juniors that I should have hired. And so, you know, if you put emphasis on manpower, yeah. then the, 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 the actual guys that's been in the industry that has value mm-hmm. becomes unvaluable. Yes. And 
I would, oh, it would be a sad day if somebody ever thought that they could look at an Excel spreadsheet and determine talent and value just yep. based on a number. You know, like, oh, well, this person is quote-unquote senior, but these two juniors can replace the senior. You know why someone is senior? Because they have experience. They have been through things that the juniors have not. So granted, the juniors may be able to do models or they may be able to make designs or things like that. But when it comes down to crunch times, when it comes down to bottom of the ninth and people need to dig deep, right? People need to be extraordinarily creative. People need to be extraordinarily efficient or extraordinarily effective. Who's going to be the one that shows up for you, right? I mean, I would put my bets on the person with the experience. Like, hey, I've been through shitty projects before. I know how to get through such and such. Versus a junior may say, holy crap, this is all brand new to me. I just want to model. I don't know how to deal with these, you know, intercompany politics or any of the situations that you may deal with in the workplace. I don't know. Well, I mean, I, I got to play the devil's advocate. I completely agree with you. But, like, looking at the other side of the coin, he is the man. They're looking at a problem where, hey, I got a room full of seniors that costs a lot of money to also keep true. them around. Sure. And now, in the other room, I have a bunch of juniors who are willing to put the extra hours, who are willing to be paid lower just to prove themselves. So if I keep one senior and then manage 10 juniors, then my problem is solved. Right? Yeah, there's, there's a lot of companies that think that way. And to each his own, I guess, is the best way to answer this one. But since we're doing this podcast talking about the industry, we do have to talk about both sides. Yep, yep. I mean, of course, uh, we know the, the value of experience, the value of being able to problem solve based on experience. Um, I, I'm just so thankful that there are so many choices now that seniors don't feel trapped. Like, if they really want to drive and make something and make a difference, you know, they'll have better luck in a smaller team. Like mm-hmm. they'll be able to make things that they want without 10,000 people. Well, I wouldn't say 10,000. Sure. Let's say five art directors yeah. managing what you're doing. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Oh, man. I think it, I remember a time like that where I had four leads for one thing that I had to do and I had to get okay from, from all of them. Four leads for one thing means that they don't have a single lead. Yeah. Pretty much. If you have four art leads, you, you don't have an art lead. Yeah, you just have extra bodies just taking up oxygen. Four art leads means, to me, uh, whoever's on top of managing those art leads didn't have the gusto to just make the decision and say, you have the power, everyone yeah. else is, is below you. It's it's family. What's that word where you give your family a job? What is that? A hookup? I don't know. <laughs> what do you mean? There's, there's some legal term where when you, you're not supposed to give favorism uh, sure. towards a family. Yeah, favorism. Yeah. But whatever that is, uh, I mean, like, you reach a certain point. You've got to hate and love them at the same time. You're facing a real problem. Right? You, like, this is not against any good leads out there, um, which there are. Mm-hmm. I mean, very good leads. At least, are. there's at least three, man. Yeah, at least three. At least three. <laughs> yeah, I can count no, on I'm just kidding. Hand. I'm just kidding. <laughs> what I mean is, like, there's more bad leads than good leads in my opinion, uh, just based on my own experience. Do you uh, really? What you really believe that there's more bad leads than good leads oh, in, in yeah. the whole industry? Oh yeah, of course. How I does how does something point. like that happen? I don't know. Maybe because of all this bullshit. 
you got to learn how to sling some to, to receive some. Like, uh, I think at a certain point, you got to have to start lying to yourself. Right? <laughs> so, management never want to solve the problems that we are talking about. Like, it's a clear problem, but they have meetings. They have meetings so that they don't solve it right away, but they can somehow figure out a way to make it look like they're solving the problem. <laughs> And you, I'm sure <laughs> audience out there have seen a walker or walking by right now in a meeting room. And you can just see gestures being made into the thing. But six months later, the same problem are still there. Now, I feel that I can, agree, I can agree on that. Yeah. And, you know, it really just comes down to they don't want to solve the issues within the studio. Like the issues that there's no reason why, uh, which... I mean, there are, but too many people are taking breaks throughout the day who usually walks in twos. And when, we've been through this many times. We worked through companies <laughs> twice, right? Yeah, I know exactly what you're about to talk about. Yeah. Pretty much any time we have a, well, a team meeting, just groups of twos and threes just start leaving and having these walks around the block. It doesn't even matter where you walk. You just keep on walking. Sometimes you just, like, walk around. <laughs> the longest path just because because I didn't finish what I was going to say and you're here to listen to what I'm going to say so that's about two more blocks of conversations but uh, it's just one of those things that it's it's understood uh, among our colleagues but management I don't know, they kind of like in their own world sometimes I feel like they don't want to believe that they're bad guys and this is the thing I, I learned about bad guys right? and I'm not saying they're done burning babies or anything. I'm just saying, well, you know, the bad guys in quotations of a studio, they never really see themselves as the villain. Yeah. I will, addressing just leads and like bad leads, one of the things that I can say is management is actually a skill. Like being a good leader versus definitely. a boss, there's a difference between a leader and a boss, right? Oh, definitely. Yeah. And, and not talking about those. No, no, sure. But I mean, like, those words may get used interchangeably, but they are not uh, synonyms. Yes. There's vast differences between leader and boss. And in my mind, management takes a skill. Like, certain people just don't really have great management skills. But you know what they were? They were very, very good artists or oh, very, yeah. very good designers who mm -hmm. just so happened to be at the top of the totem pole when the new lead needed to get picked. Where... We're in an industry full of geeks and nerds, all right? I'm a geek, you're a geek, everyone can relate to this. I mean, we really like niches yeah. uh, within society. And so while we're going to art school, while we're doing this, we kind of stay within our niche. Like, we don't really travel outside the classroom or outside of the workplace uh, too much. I mean, of course, there's a lot of us that have social lives and all these things, but Management skills is not a class that we've ever, you know, we ever have no, taken. You it's won't. always outside skills yep. that contribute to that. And so I can understand why we have bad leads uh, because you're suddenly asked to lead a team, to manage a group of people that you used to work with. And you don't want to, and you have, all our artists have some kind of uh, insecurity, right, within us. And so when we're handed power, <laughs> most of the time we abuse it because we don't know how to handle it. You want to drop your nuts on the table. Exactly. <laughs> drop it on all tables. For no reason. 
So I get it. I don't agree with it, but I get it. Like, I totally understand why. Yeah. Well, let me ask you this. You said most leads are bad, so that leads me to believe that you had some good leads. Of course. I okay. have great leads. So anyone listening on the podcast, some may be leads or some may be people who are just disgruntled because they have bad leads. What are the things that you see that have stood out as, wow, this person's a good lead? Like where did they you know, go the extra mile or where did they, I guess, make themselves known as being a good lead? I think a good lead uh, is not just unique to the game industry. This goes across all types of disciplines, all types of industries. And it's pretty much a lead is not particularly a person that is leading. Mm-hmm. It's accommodating. It's accommodating needs for the person he's managing. Mm. That, to me, is like the greatest quality of a leader, where he just, instead of like telling people what to do, of course he has to have that ability, but it's more about listening. It's mm. like listening, what does my team need? What does my what what concerns do they have? How can I fix it? How do I make your job easier so that you can just come in and do your stuff without worrying about anything else? Mm. And secondly, you know, even if you don't have that first quality, uh, if you're you're this guy where I can drop dead at a moment's notice, and he can just shove me off the chair and do my work on top of what ever responsibilities have before that to me is another great lead. like mm-hmm. being able to perform when when it's necessary being able to pick up uh when your team cannot uh, deliver right? mm-hmm. that's that's huge those two things is, to me it stands out in my past experience of what a great leader is how about you how do you feel that so one of the things that i've seen or that I look for in a lead or in any sort of management position is strength. Yeah. But also not necessarily mercy, but just an understanding and acknowledgement of how and when to use strength. Right. right? So like if someone is creating a problem in a workplace, I don't want them to necessarily be confrontational about it, but I want them to be able to identify like, wow, you know what? This person is creating conflicts. I need to go and handle that because it's bringing my team productivity down. Right. Um, Let's see. Uh, yeah, I, I'm just going to say that. Like, And that characteristic is hard to find in a lot of people as well because a lot of people don't want to deal with conflicts or they don't want to deal with, hey, look, you and you, let's work this shit out. We're yeah. gonna, you know what I mean? Like, hey, come over here. Let's look. You're coming in past 10 o'clock every day. Everyone mm-hmm. else is here working. We can't like there's hard conversations that need to be had. Right. And I don't like leads that can't just tell it like it is. Yeah. Like it's so important to look another adult in the face and just tell them the truth sometimes. Yeah. You know, like that's a skill that apparently a lot of people don't have. Uh, they're just too scared to be confrontational. Yeah. But it's true. Like if you're if you're expected to do the hard stuff, you're expected to do things that others cannot. And if you can't, it's disappointing. Yeah. Like, it's not my job. <laughs> just tell them. Tell well, them coming out we are 46 minutes and 17 seconds into the game dev the game dev unchained podcast this is episode number one we are going off the top having a great time once again this is your host larry charles and brandon fam you're hella late <laughs> you can cut that out you can cut that out um, sure. hey, let's let's uh i lost train of thought let's take a quick break we're gonna run a commercial we will come right back and close out the podcast. We just want to thank everybody for watching. 
We will be right back after this quick commercial break from our sponsor. Hey there, would you like to learn about making video games? Then you definitely need to check out GameSchoolOnline.com. It's the number one place to learn about video game development. We've got talented instructors who are currently industry professionals who are teaching classes and making tutorials to help you become a video game developer today. Okay, welcome back to the Game Dev Unchained podcast. Once again, this is your host, Larry Charles and... Brandon Pham. Boom. Much better that time. And uh, we're going to bring it home with one last quick topic. I think I would like to end it with, how do you make friends in the game industry from people you don't know? How do you... So, like, that's a terrible question. (laughs) You having problems with this, Larry? What I'm trying to say is, what I'm trying to say is... There's new people watching this podcast who are probably going to be going into the game industry for the first time, right? Yeah. You're going to be working with multiple types of personalities. Now, whether or not you like these individuals, you still have to work with them. So the question that I failed miserably at trying to ask is, how is it that you can get to work with different types of people, people that you may like, people that you may not like, and still get things done, still work as a team? I, What's your take on that? I will draw from my own experience, uh, but I've seen it done this way as well. As soon as you start a new job, it's the things that you do outside of the, the job that actually creates better friendships, in my opinion. Like Just sitting there, yeah, you can ask about techniques and stuff, but it's the time that you go out on lunch, or you go out and play basketball, or you, you, you ask to hang out after work, Things like that, you know, just normal things without pushing it and making it natural uh, has been effective. Like, just don't try too hard. And don't be weird because uh, that can go a long way and uh, it will follow you as far as trying to leave a company and then go, I mean, between both of us, like we have stories of people. <laughs> Like legends that we've heard. <laughs> that could be its own podcast. We should that probably be, do that. <laughs> just like, yeah, we can do a whole podcast of stories of people that we've heard and and we've met. Like, we, I, I would be five years hearing about a story and I finally would meet them just because how small the industry is. You finally would work with someone like that. Yeah. And it's just funny. I'm still waiting to meet your buddy Sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> um, his name has been changed to protect the innocent, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'll take a stab at my own question, too. So when I think about working in the game industry, there are people you will like and they'll be easy to work with. But sometimes they may be too easy to work with. You may find yourself too excited to talk to an individual or to share stories and, and fun and be around certain people where you could let your work slip, right? The trick is don't do that. Right. <laughs> find time, like you said, outside of work to develop those encouraging relationships. So like you, yourself and I, right? Like we're the best of friends and I was in your wedding and you will be in mine, right? Like it's a, we're a dynamic duo. I can't think of a time where either one of us has ever overindulged in the friendship while at work. You know what I mean? As easy as we could have just spent all day talking and laughing and stuff, we always make sure that we had maybe a quick little 30 second, one minute, two minute talks during the workday, take breaks when necessary, but we got our stuff done. 
That's yeah. the easy part. The hard part is when you work with or near someone that you actually don't like, right? Like, I think we've observed this for from both perspectives. <laughs> like, I've seen people come up to you and talk to you for like an hour. <laughs> just laugh. <laughs> The people you don't like. Yeah. It's the funniest thing. Yeah, thanks for just sitting there laughing in my misery. I appreciate yeah. that. Oh, we'll talk about this sometime. We have yeah. stories about that too. So I will just say my tactic for handling people I don't like is I have faith in human resources and protocol. So in the event that somebody treats me wrong or that somebody oversteps a boundary, I know that I don't necessarily have to go into explicit detail to handle the situation myself, right? Like if I'm ever wronged, I can bring that grievance up to the proper channels, know that I voice my opinion, and then they can handle it behind the scenes, right? Like you can't always just get in people's face and tell them, look, you bother me, this and that, this and that, right? Because some people can't handle that type of thing. Some people would then look at you as the aggressor, you know, especially, and I'll just say it, I'm a big African-American individual. I have to, I hate that it's this way, but I have to be very careful how I communicate with people because it's so easy for people to paint a negative picture of me. Oh, I see it. It's very easy. It's very easy for them to just say, Larry did this and that, and the story is believed. Sometimes I do it for fun and they believe me. (laughs) It's crazy. Um, So yes, I actually, if I know that I'm working with somebody who I don't get along with very well, uh, I know that there are systems in place that will handle grievances if they occur. But two, I also respect the fact that this person is considered a professional, right? Yeah. So even if I can't stand him and he can't stand me, if we have a deadline, I hope that I can trust in his own ability to want to survive that he's going to do his job. Yeah. And if he does not or if she does not, then – if it gets to a point where like the whole team is being brought down, like someone's not pulling their weight, so therefore the whole team is losing, or at least a noticeable amount of my team is losing, then I bring it up to the lead. Like, hey, I don't know if you're paying attention, but so-and-so is not really working to the best of their ability. Right. And then you don't stab them, though. You say, yeah. maybe we should talk to them and see what's going on. Let's try to help the guy. Like, always come from that angle first. Because you don't want to have yourself look like you're out to get people, right? You're expressing it as concern for the team and the individual that you're talking about. Even if you don't like them, you still want the game to succeed, right? The company still thought enough of that person to hire them. So therefore, at least give them the benefit of the doubt on the first time. Like, hey, let's see if there's something we can do to help. We can do to help. Those are both positive things in a negative situation versus F that guy. He's not working. I'm going to go tattle on him in my next meeting. And right. then they're sitting there writing notes about you being aggressive or, or being, you know, not a team player or, you know. I would add to that. I totally agree. Keep close attention to the psychos. <laughs> Do the exact opposite. You want – if he – if Crazy Lenny – Ask you out to lunch, you go out to lunch with them. You gotta make sure that you guys are cool. Right? And we know the types that we're talking about at every work company. There's gonna be a weirdo one that you don't know what's gonna go on if you say something bad, right? If something goes off, you wanna make sure you're cool with them because this is a real thing. All right, that's my warning to you. Okay, okay. I gotta ask, man, how many crazy Lennies have you worked with? Because you have like a whole strategy, like all planned out. Crazy Lenny doesn't know that he's crazy. 
Right? Mm-hmm. That's how you got to start with that. And every company I've been at, I've always been able to spot the crazy ones or, uh, you know, just making sure that I'm good, I'm safe. Like, I would give them an extra high in the morning. I would give them an extra compliment when it's unnecessary. Just making sure that crazy Lenny is happy. So just be careful out there. Like, just be observant. That's really what it is. And our industry... Is a very we like working in the dark. We like being in the computer. The be, the more time that you spend behind the computer, the better. So, the exceptionally really good ones are usually anti-social in a way where you just got to be careful. Like you just got to be careful what you say. So Larry's approach is just treat everyone nicely. Don't go uh, confrontational right away. You know, seek other ops, other ways to deal with the situation. It's always the safest bet. And the other thing is I can't go confrontational right away because I lose <laughs> even if I'm the victim. Yeah, even if I'm the victim. I, I saw, okay, this isn't even video game related today, but I saw something that turned my stomach. So I was on I was on Facebook at work on my second monitor, not the work yeah. monitor, the second monitor. <laughs> uh, and there was a video posted of two guys arguing. One looked like a big heavy set, kind of like maybe like an Arab guy or like, I don't know where he was from, maybe that kind of Persian or something. Yeah. And then, like, DJ Khaled. Like, DJ, he looks like DJ Khaled. Yeah, yeah. And then the guy he's arguing with is a black guy, right? Yeah, yeah. Then they start fighting. Like, they're really fighting. Like, it's like a full-on, like, really trying to hurt each other fight. And it goes on for about two minutes of fighting. And these guys suck at fighting. They're, like, they're yeah. just, you know, like, throwing hands all over the place. Right, right, right. Then the police show up to the video, right? I already know. <laughs> They grab the black dude and throw him to the ground. Of course, you get a grab handcuff threat. him. Yes, yeah. and he's threat. on the ground, minimal, like neutralized and shit. And yeah. then they kindly walk over to the Arab guy and they're like asking him questions and making sure he's okay. Then they find out that he was involved in the fight and it was like, like both of them. Then they're like, "Oh shoot, we look bad." Sorry, sir. Can you please turn around so we can put some handcuffs on you? So the dude turns himself around oh, and he holds man. his hands up and they nicely put the handcuffs on him. Dude. I was so sick when I saw that. I was so sick. And it just like it just so bad. it just funny. happened. And it's like, oh man. So I'm not saying that the game industry is racist, not in any way. Uh, I'm very fortunate to be African-American and to have been as successful as I have. And if I face racism or not, I'm not saying that the game industry is or is not racist. I just want to say, Larry, just you entering the industry, we're up 2% on black people. (laughs) I just want to thank you. (laughs) Oh, my God. See, that's just... You're a unicorn. You're pretty much a unicorn. There's not a lot. Oh, they're starting to, and I'm glad. Yeah. I can't really say Asians are minorities anymore. Hell no. Are you in the <laughs> game industry, man? Please. You guys started the game industry. You talk talking about them. Yeah, we're starting. Yeah, we're you're, the grand, you're the grandfathers of the game industry, man. Pretty good. OG. <laughs> All right, guys. Uh, we had a great time entertaining you for this hour. Hopefully, you learned a thing or two. And even more importantly, hopefully, you're going to stick around. You're going to get episodes regularly from us. Uh, we want to appreciate you. We appreciate you for sticking around. And I'm going to sign out before I make any more rambled words. Brandon, take it away. Tell the good folks what they want. I'm glad you guys listen. Uh, look forward to more episodes. Uh, we're going to talk to you, game industry 
veterans uh, about the transitions into either independent or uh, you know their journey going through the game industry their experiences and we're really here to to learn about what we can do to fix the problem so we're good signing right. off until next time guys make sure you like comment and subscribe wherever you can however you can please show support to the podcast it goes a long way we promise you all right Peace.